Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 243. Podcast 243. My name is Douglas Wilson. Thank you for joining me. Uh, we are resuming, apparently, after a brief hiatus. I don't know really about these things because I record the podcast four to go, like once a month. And um, I think we had a break because, oh, I don't know. <laughs> We didn't sync up with my vacation time or something. Anyway, uh, it's good to be back. Good to have you back. So I want to uh, talk a little bit for the intro topic here about how it is or what the consequences are of this sexual revolution having no bottom. If the bottom has fallen out, what you have to recognize is that you don't have a bottom anymore. When the ground gives way under your feet and you uh, tumble into the bottomless pit, you can't say, well, at least we will stop at the next outrage. Uh, that's not the way it works. Not the way it works. So what people don't realize is that relativism, particularly nihilistic, secular, atheistic, materialistic, there is no God relativism, is a corrosive that eats through any container that you try to keep it in. So, for example, th this is um, just an example, and it's a pretty mild one now. I remember back when we were still debating what I call same-sex mirage. We were still debating the idea of homosexual marriages. And uh, the, the alphabetic people had already begun their thing, so we had the LGBTQ. I don't think we had the plus yet, but that alphabet list is going to grow and grow and grow. And back in the day, in the debates over same-sex mirage, I used to argue that we were being hateful and bigoted toward the bees, the bisexuals, because we were not allowing them to express their sexuality in marriage. Because for a bisexual to express his sexuality through the vehicle of marriage, that requires at least three people, right? So, and, and you could get quite a daisy chain going, right? So if, let's say, a man, a homosexual man, marries a bisexual man. So the homosexual relationship is taken care of by the two of them, but the, the man he marries is bisexual, and so he ha he's attracted to women also. So why is he prohibited from expressing his sexuality, which is attracted to both sexes, why is he prohibited from doing that via marriage, right? The only explanation I can think of is, is sheer hatred. <laughs> we hate, we hate the bees, right? Well, when I would, when I would try to uh, articulate this point, I was just met with rage. People would just respond with, you're an idiot. You, why can't you can't, you know, Nobody's arguing for threesomes. Nobody's arguing for polygamy. Well, the, the two answers, well, yes, they are. The, the Muslims want to bring their four wives over. Why can't they bring their four wives? Why, why, why have we considered the number two to be sacrosanct? You know, it, well, tradition requires that it only be two. Well, our tradition, and we've, you've just now demonstrated how much you care about that, right? But it even gets more interesting. Why, let's say you have a homosexual man who marries a bisexual man, 
and we unbend a little bit and say, okay, the bisexual man can be married to this girl. And he, so he has two partners, but the homosexual man who, who started this off only has one partner unless he wants another male partner because now we're, we're not limited to two. But it doesn't have to be the same two, right? In, in some cases, it would be really bizarre if it were the same two. So if the uh, bisexual man marries a heterosexual woman, why can't she take a third lover? Why, and why can't she express that through marriage? Or why can't you have a chain of 15 bisexual people? And this is, this is what brings us back to my earlier point about the bottom fa falling out. You can't say, well, we would never go for that. Well, why not? He who says A must say B. He who says A must say B, eventually. And because mankind is a logical creature, at least collectively, he eventually will get to the point where he says B, until he tumbles into the void. And that's where this is, that's where this is headed. What, what, people want, what, what people are demanding is one of the traditional expressions of Christianity is a Christian must reject the devil and all his works. Well, what this nihilistic revolution is doing, attempting to do, is to reject God and all his works. But one of his works includes every form of bonding, <laughs> down to the subatomic level. And these people are not going to be content until they dissolve, loosen, take out every last rivet of everything that holds anything together. And that's the void. That's the void they're pursuing. So they're not, they're not looking for a mild adjustment. What, the, what they are at war with is God's covenantal binding of everything together. And so the sexual revolution basically has no consistent stopping point short of hell. No consistent. Uh, so it's not, it's not just a matter of, hey, if you do certain sins in your life, you're going to be punished by going to hell. What, the sex, what our sexual revolution is doing, as opposed to, let's say, a libertine who recognized years ago the authority of the Ten Commandments but kept disobeying them because he was a sinner, it, he recognized the standard, but because he violated the standard, he was going to be judged. But in our case, with the sexual revolution, the logical outworking of the rebellion is the punishment. It is the outer darkness. It is the void. Always will be God. Continuing on with episode 243, we come to homartiology. Remember, we do homartiology all the time. We are told in the Old Testament that we are not to sit in the seat of scorners or mockers. That's in Psalm 1.1, the very first verse of the Psalter. We find the same thing in the New Testament. As we continue our study of homartiology, we come to the word empikes. Empiktes, E-M-P-A-I-K-T-E-S, Empiktes, which is rendered as mocker or scoffer. And there are two uses of it in the New Testament. In the book of Jude, we read this, how that they told you there would be mockers, there it is, there would be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Jude, verse 18. 
And in a parallel passage found in 2 Peter, we find the same word that's translated a little bit differently. In Jude, it's translated as mockers, and in 2 Peter, it's translated, at least in the KJV, as scoffers. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, there it is, walking after their own lusts. The scoffers here walk after their own lusts, doing the same thing that the mockers do. In Jude, they're walking after their own ungodly lusts. So mockers or scoffers oppose things without having to give a reason. The methodology of the mocker simply assumes that the reason has already been given, which it hasn't, and that the laugh track is all queued up and ready to go. So they don't tell the joke, they assume that the joke is already told. Mockery goes straight to the victory lap without bothering to run the race. So it's not like you're doing, it's not like a touchdown run and then the mockery is the touchdown dance. What it is, mockery is the touchdown dance without any touchdown run. This is very convenient when you have no real case to make. You just pretend that you had a case to make and also pretend that you already made it. And then you laugh at the opposition that is silly enough not to acknowledge your superior wisdom. And this is why mockery is such an empty thing. It is as hollow as a jug. It's like the crackling of thorns under a pot. These are men who want to walk after their lusts, as both Peter and Jude say, and they are bent on doing it, but they are in no position to defend their lusts by means of reason. And this is because their lusts are irrational. God don't never change. He's God. The book review that I want to uh, uh, give to you, pass on to you, uh, this time is Strange New World by Carl Truman. Strange New World by Carl Truman. Now, I've already, in, in recent memory, I reviewed um, Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. That's a large book, and it's a scholarly work, an academic work, and br- a brilliant work. So what Truman does is he, he um, does a lot of genealogical work examining the, the genesis of individual self-expression, this, the expressive self that is so characteristic of our modern era. But that, that book, however great it was, and it was great, was also uh, a bit of a heavy lift for uh, many ordinary readers who would lo- love to get at the material, but without all the scholarly apparatus and the footnotes and everything. So what, what Crossway did, which and kudos to them, what Crossway did is they had Carl Truman basically write a, a popular-level book with the same basic central thesis, but written for a broader audience. And that's what this book is, Strange New World by Carl Truman. So I read the first one, which is great, and this one is also great. It's a, if you've read the, the more detailed work uh, and you want to go deep, this is, a, this is a good way to review what he was talking about, a good way to, to study it good way to internalize it. And what Truman is trying to do is explain for Christians why we see the sorts of things we see at the mall or online or in people's Instagram posts. So, you know, you see someone at the mall who's got all kinds of metal attached to various parts of their body, and they've got flaming orange Halloween hair. And they're walking along. Would, would you think to walk up to them and say, oh, this is very outrageous. 
However, did you think of it? <laughs> if someone had dressed that way, oh, I don't know, 75 years ago, that really would have been outlandish. It, they, it would have been a, a, an oddity at the very least, right? You're, you're, this is the only person doing it. This whole thing that we're dealing with, that we're grappling with, is a mass movement. All kinds of people, people who ought to have had immunities, have given way to it. Christians who ought to have had immunities. They're, what they're doing is they're saying, what matters fundamentally is that I express myself, right? As though you've got a precious treasure in the suitcase of your heart that God gave you. He wrapped up this little present and put it in your heart. And your job, according to this view, is to unwrap that present and show it to the world. Find the, discover yourself. Find the real you. And when you found the real you, you want to let the world have a good dose of it. And the world's obligation is to nod and applaud and accept whatever it is that you come up with. Your self-report about what's going on in your internal emotional weather, it, it is obligatory that the, the rest of the world accept it. The rest of the world must accept it, endorse it, applaud it, uh, affirm it. And this is why when believing Christians, conservative Christians, Christians who know their Bibles, refuse to do so, that's why they're met with rage. That's why they're, dis they're dismissed as haters. So, in pursuit of discovering yourself, people adopt outlandish clothing, people cut their hair in weird ways, people abandon their families, people decouple from husbands and wives. Why? Because I've got to be true to myself. Well, Christians want to say, uh, the heart is deceitfully wicked. No, no, no. Christians want to be true to the Word of God. Christians want to be true to what is objectively true. And my heart is objectively slippery. Left to its own devices, it slides off the road. And, and so what I want to do is anchor my heart to the Word of God. And that means that when there's a conflict between what God says to do and what I want to do, I must surrender. I must give way. I must bend my neck to the yoke. And these are, uh, these are mighty offensive words in these days of ours. Get Carl Truman's book, Strange New World. I think you're going to find it a big help. Mm -hmm.